Hello and welcome once again. Jack Hayward here with another Jack's Throwback Attack podcast. Hope you're keeping well. In this episode, we have some excellent memories of Kids TV from CBBC, CITV, Channel 4 Learning and CBeebies. So joining me for a chat today is someone who has been involved in kids TV since the early 90s, appearing on CBBC, CITV and CBeebies. It's Chris Jarvis. Hello. Hello, Jack. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. It's good to have you on, uh, finally. It's nice to be speaking to you, um, and I hope you're well. Yeah, very good. Yeah, finally. I've had COVID, like a lot of people, um, um, but un- unlike some, I was very fortunate and didn't have uh, bad symptoms, although it dragged on for quite a long time. But uh, you're reminded, aren't you, daily, just how awful it has been for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that uh, that you came out of it okay. As I mentioned just, you've been working in kids' TV for a very long time. Now, was it always your ambition from a young age to be working in this field? I'm not sure, really. That's a very good question. I certainly loved watching it when I was a kid. I grew up watching programmes like Rent-A-Ghost and uh, Rainbow and Playdays, and um, as well as all those wonderful half-hour sitcoms. So um, I think between all the television... I watched a lot of television. My parents were very conscientious because they were both in education. So, um, you know, we we ate good food, you know, and (laughs) kept a diary on holiday and all these sorts of things and went to me museums and did all these amazing things but for some reason they didn't allow me to watch all this television which was great and most of it was highly inappropriate especially things like are you being served <laughs> but it made me fall in love with telly and uh, that's what I wanted to do um, working in children's television has been great because of the variety that y- you get to to get involved with so um, it's singing dancing jokes drama I've just been in Romeo and Juliet for CBeebies but uh, we also do Christmas shows where I've been a dame and all sorts of other things so uh, yeah and in Show Me Show Me which is like play school which is uh, the show that I'm probably best known for it's a whole variety of things comedy sketches and songs and um, yeah so children's telly is great because you get to do everything you get get to do uh, to be a, a jack of all trades indeed you do and you have certainly done a lot of stuff over the years which we'll we'll, we'll go through um now the very first thing that you did in kids telly i believe correct me if i'm wrong um was the presentation links for children's bbc and how did that job come about well, I um, I sent in a showreel of me doing impression. I was an impressionist at the time, and I was working on the radio doing a kids show in Ipswich and also on LBC. I was doing stuff there. And um, so really, you know, at that stage, I was really just sort of putting myself forward as a character actor. Didn't imagine that uh, I would get a presenting job. Obviously, everyone dreams of, of getting jobs like that. Um, but started off doing sort of character work and fell into presenting, really. Um, I'm not really sure it's what I'm good at, you know, because um, what I feel like do best is is pantomime and the bits of telly which are very much like pantomime, like show me, show me. Um, I tend to feel more confident and more at home doing. You know, I don't. I don't think Chris Jarvis, the person, is very interesting. But when I become a larger-than-life character, like in pantomime, you know, I can, you know, I, I seem to, to to have an easier ride. But um, no, it was a great privilege to do. Obviously, it's a dream job for a lot of people, and in, including myself. And um, and what was lovely was all the people I worked with and got to meet all the guests that came on on um, the broom cupboard, but also um, on Fully Booked, which I did for a couple of years. We met a lot of interesting people, some of them very famous and well known, you know, all the pop groups, the Spice Girls, all the boy bands at the time, um, but also people like Nick Park and, you know, all these amazing writers and artists and people who, who work behind the scenes sometimes as well so now it's really amazing um but for the last 20 years i've um i've been on cbb's working with great people but you know not really in the the very show busy celebrity world 
Cool. And uh, I mean, with, with the the original stuff you did for Children's BBC, um, you did that for a very long time. I mean, there was obviously originally the broom cupboard and later, um, was it was it called TC9 or Studio 9? I, I seem to remember the bigger one. That was it, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was, yeah, our first home, if you like, was the broom cupboard was the presentation suite um for bbc one and sometimes we used the the suite for bbc two like in the mornings but um it was all a bit heath robinson really because you know during the day there were ladies and gentlemen in there you know not quite in their uh ball gowns and evening suits you know saying in half an hour on bbc one we'll have terry and june all that sort of thing and then for a, you know an hour and a half in the evening suddenly lights came on there was a camera bolted to the wall and we did links for children BBC but I think that was part of its charm really um sometimes you don't need to spend millions of pounds and have a big shiny flawed studio um sometimes in in many ways it was like the beginning of YouTube wasn't it you know people sort of putting a camera on the wall and talking from their bedrooms it was not much more than that and um so yeah I did that for for a while and um that was actually um at, at television center we did get bigger as it became more popular they moved studios we took over the weather studio so at the back of the area where bbc one and bbc two comes from were two tiny studios that were always being used one was actually designed for the weather forecast but of course that all went digital and they i mean for a long time they've been standing in front of computer generated screens um with generated maps whatever but the other the other studio so we took that studio over and the other studio was for things like points of view film 96 all those sort of programs and um so in the in the makeup room next door we had Anne Robinson who used to do points of view and Barry Norman and all these people um even the old grey whistle test came from those studios so they they were busy so there was a nice sort of atmosphere going on and of course downstairs where you had the huge TC1 and eight other huge studios you had all the sitcoms Parkinson the Jonathan Ross show there was always queues of people waiting to go on Noel's house party or whatever or queuing up to see a sitcom it was a really exciting place to be and it's such a shame it's gone but you know times move on and we're still making great television and tastes change and and what people want and, and the other thing that people forget is that um in the early days of television everything had to be shot in a television studio it really doesn't have to be now you can film television anywhere the aneden line which was a drama all about boats and ships was filmed, most of it was filmed in a studio that they, they were telling me the 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 gaffers who worked there that they they um they actually built the ship you know and the floor was sunk you know tc1 the biggest studio and tc3 the floors went down to reveal a, a huge pool where they could um have boats and goodness knows what well you don't do that i mean the idea of building a ship in a television studio now people would would cart you away you know think you're absolutely out of your mind i mean much much cheaper to um film a real boat in in the water out at sea and that's how it's done but um no i mean it was exciting to be there with so much going on and um yeah it did evolve tc9 i think was the last home of uh, cbbc before everything moved up to uh, the uh, north to manchester I visited Television Centre oh, about eight years ago, uh, not long before it shut one of the tours. And, you know, that was exciting, you know, just thinking how many people had gone through those gates over the years. And um, you're right, it is a shame, but times do move on. Um, would you say that that era of the BBC as a whole, but children's BBC as well, um, was something of a, of a golden era? I think we go through different periods. You know, I regularly get asked to go on BBC local radio, it, it seems, quite a lot to talk about, um, you know, uh, children's television and people phone in and say, oh, it's much better when I was younger. We had Mary Mungo and Midge and all this. And, and you think, are you mad? You know, watch them on YouTube. You know, yeah, they were good programmes, but compare it to Hey Dougie and Postman Bat and um, The Moon and Me and the amazing programmes that we have out now the technology is different now so children's tv benefits from that um and there were some great programs of course there were i loved rent ghost as i said earlier and there were some brilliant animations like the chigley trumpton even now if you watch them on youtube they still stand up as great bits of telly and um but it wasn't all good 
it wasn't all good. And, you know, especially the things I was in, <laughs> they were rubbish. But, you know, things have got better, not least because we now have two channels on the BBC alone. There are 36 children's channels just in this country. Nickelodeon, Cartoon, and, and all that competition and choice means that kids, um, well, in the first instance, the people making the programmes can't make rubbish anymore. You can't, um, you can't serve up things just on a whim. You've got to do your research, make sure that you're making something that children can, are going to enjoy. Otherwise, they won't watch it and you'd have wasted a lot of money because it costs tens of thousands of pounds to make TV programmes for children or for anyone, for that matter, of any quality. So, um, yeah, there have been golden eras. I mean, when I was watching children's television, everything was so new. So, of course, it was really um, like the days of pirate radio um, were for rock and roll radio. So, too, was that beginning of children's television where they were um, coming up with great animations and dramas like Grange Hill and comedies like Renscoats. Keep going on about it, but it was good. And worse of Gumbridge, there were others. But, um, you know, it was a, a bit of a golden era. And uh, because it was all so fresh. But I think what children have now is a lot more of it, a lot more choice. And they also have the benefits of those old programs, because even though they're not shown anymore, the people who worked on them once have passed on the wisdom and in many cases are still working there. You know, there are people who worked on play school still making children's television today. And of course, they bring to the team, which could be made up of a lot of younger people, but nevertheless, they bring to the team all that experience, all that talent. And um, so that, that people learn from, from what went before and can build on it. So in many ways, I think we're in a better place. The other thing, of course, is that our competition on the BBC used to be ITV. Now it's all these other channels, but it's also um, Pixar movies in most homes with young families. They have a whole stack of DVDs at any point. The kid could go, I want Lion King and they can have Lion King or they can watch a game or play a game rather on, on a tablet or, or phone or whatever. So they have a lot more choice. So I guess this is a golden era. Yes, very true. I like your answer. Um, everybody thinks that their era is the golden era. I always say, you know, the time that I grew up was, was special because it was the last kind of era where kids' television was just an hour and a half on the terrestrial yeah. channels. Um, the digital channels were about, but they were still in their infancy. Um, yeah. You know, there wasn't 24-hour viewing, so it was very different. You had to watch it at that time, and if you didn't, then you missed it, unless you taped it on VHS. Um, so, yeah, it has it has changed. You're absolutely right. I agree with you. And what you're saying is what I've always said about... Um, what's really sad about what's happened with television generally is that it's no longer such an event and you don't have that sort of playground or even an office conversation the next day about did you watch last night this wonderful program dot 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 um now you know it's not a problem if you have missed it but the chances are you won't even have heard of it and it you know it took me years to actually get around to watching game of thrones you know so everybody going on about that for ages but um, back then, people all watched it. I remember at school, we watched Grange Hill and the next day we were all talking about it or whatever it was, whatever else was on television. So I agree with you, that sense of event, that specialness of children's television. And also the fact that everybody knew who people were. Um, I mean, I get recognised more in the street for stuff I did in the 90s than I have done for the last 20 years because... In those days, people were waiting for neighbours to come on. But there were only five channels anyway, really, for a lot of people. So you, we, we were very lucky, you know, and, and that gets me, gets me pantomime every year. Um, you know, so, um, but yeah, I, I take your point and, and you are right, that sense of event. And I, but I think that's a general sadness for the whole of television, the fact that people don't all watch the same thing anymore and it's one of the reasons why i stopped doing impressions i mean i do because i do them i use different character voices for stories and, and storytelling and occasionally in pantomime but the fact that not everybody knows who um various people are from sitcoms but going back to the 70s and 80s if you did an impression of oh i don't know del boy everyone knew who del boy was and and how he sounded Yes, indeed. And I think the other thing as well is um, 
like you say, it, it, it is a golden era in some senses, uh, you know, these days. I mean, I've not watched children's television for a long time, so I can't really um, comment on it. But um, I think the, the one thing that's nice with CBBC now and CBeebies is they're both still committed to making their own content and they put a lot of time and effort into it. The thing that you mm-hmm. get now, because there's so many channels, you get quite a few that just have a lot of very cheap and cheerful stuff and a lot of imports and a lot of CGI. And I think that's a bit of a shame. I think it's a shame that there's not that much that doesn't use that but it seems that those two channels um still follow the old school i suppose i don't know if yeah, you, you know what well, I mean. absolutely right and i think if they ever did go down the path of trying to compete with some of the successful cartoon channels like nickelodeon and disney and um cartoon network by putting on more cartoons and animation i think they'd be in trouble because even if they managed to boost the audience i think the audience itself would not be unhappy it's a bit like you know if you were to go into a restaurant that you loved and every time you went in there you would just serve chips you know because as much as you love chips and fish and fried food uh, you you don't want to have it every day even though it's probably tasty and your favorite meal sometimes you need a salad and i think that cbb's has a great diet of animation live action and and it does its live action very well i've you know i'm not just saying it because you know i'm on it but show me show me it's not just me you know of course there's for every presenter on a program there's about 40 people behind the scenes making it work and it's those people it's the thought the imagination the scripts the sets the camera work everything that goes into making live action fantastic and and i think that children would be culturally very worse off if you didn't have CBBC and CBBS, and it would be a crying shame if if they are defunded anymore. And um, I, I, it's a shame people can't, you know, some people can't see the value in it. And I think that's really, really sad because it can't be starved anymore. Really, it's 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 kind of probably operating as um, I don't know as frugally as it. I mean, it's such an efficient operation. It's incredible the way, the way it works. Um, But um, no, I think moving forward that, um, you know, the, the BBC has its niche, as you say, it's doing a lot of live action. There are lots of people, real human beings, and that interaction between the child and a human is, is so important. Yes, indeed. And uh, hopefully it continues for, for many more years. It would be a great shame if it if it did stop. Um, so I want to ask just a couple more questions about kind of the, the 90s days before we kind of move on to later on. Um, now, you, like you say, you did a lot of characters and a lot of voices and stuff like that. And, and one of the characters that you did a lot of in those days was the Anorak, um, which I know is very popular. I mean, how did that come about? Well, I... Um... The character itself, I did on the radio a long time ago, 1988. I'm very old. And um, the character name um, was a term that was used by the Radio Caroline DJs back in the 60s. In fact, the, the term was invented by my first producer, who was called Andy Archer, who was a DJ on Radio Caroline. And that's how what they used to describe the people who went over to the ship in dinghies because they were obsessed with pirate radio. And they called them the Anoraks because they were wearing Anoraks. So we already had that character. And, you know, it was just a bit of a foil for me on it because it was just me um, doing silly voices and goodness knows what so the character was there and um we went through a period in the the 90s after ed the duck of not having a puppet for a while and they just wanted to rest the idea of having a a puppet before they brought in um, a new one and they came up with the the amazing otis the aardvark who's sensational but it was good to have a little bit of a break and i filled in that break really you know i just gave toby a bit of a foil and he was an anti-hero he was really a pantomime baddie which is quite an easy way out really it wasn't very sophisticated and actually not very good because you know we were just making it up as we went along but um it was um it served a purpose and it generated mail and that's what you need when you're on the radio and you've got a lot of airtime or you're doing those sort of jobs and I think Toby was absolutely brilliant he was one of the most 
skilled at it um of being able to make everything exciting and in a very genuine way um but he needed a foil almost to um to give him that material if if, if he needed it and of course the um having the anorak generating all this <laughs> terrible mail um just gave him fodder to um entertain the kids and um yeah he he was he was very very good at it i often thought with toby whether he'd ever find another job that was a hundred percent him and he has because he's on heart now um presenting um heart dance and um and he does it with the same enthusiasm but he's completely different obviously character and work ethic but it but that job is also a hundred percent him it makes me wonder what else he could do but um no i haven't seen him for ages but um we do stay in touch Good stuff. It's nice to hear that. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. And um, uh, one of the shows that you presented in around that time as well was the fantastic play days. Um, what was it like presenting that? And was that your first foray into presenting for a preschool audience, something that you'd go on to do a lot more later on? Yeah, it was. And I think it was the first time I realized, oh, my gosh, you know, I'd forgotten just how many things go into making a preschool program, as in storytelling, music, dance, mime, um, just general entertainment, comedy, characters. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. You know, preschool t- television for someone like me, you know, who's a bit of a variety turn is 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 fantastic. But it was also a bit of a wake up call to the fact that actually it's, it's really difficult. And there's and it's its own science. You know, it's um, there are people who just work in preschool television who are very different to the people who work in CBBC. It's its own little area um because it's a mixture of entertainment and education which um which i found very exciting because to be honest um you know it's actually not you know i didn't dislike working on um children's bbc at all i loved it but i was sort of hankering for something with a little bit more um i don't know uh, brains to it you know and i think that you you do you do get tested a little bit more working in preschool television because you you have to be so mindful of the fact that your audience have no field of references you can't just say you know this thing da 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 you can't you, you just have to assume they they don't know anything because you're advert you're you're entertaining children as young as two as well as children of six and seven it's, it's a really incredible age group if you think about it because um there's a massive difference between a two-year-old and a seven-year-old whereas there isn't such a big difference between the upper ages so yeah no I love the challenge and um, sort of fell in love with that uh, way of working really great yeah it was it was a good show ran for many years and uh, still fondly remembered to this day there were a lot of people who did it incredibly well who um i think are missing now you know but it's impossible i guess to employ everybody that you know you accumulate over time but there were some really really good presenters um and also of course the puppetry that was on there they were absolutely loved the three key puppets but there were others as well there, there was so much to that series it was it was very very successful it was it was indeed and uh, it holds very happy memories for myself and and many people and i guess um what's your favorite stop jack do you know what my memory's really terrible on on what they were um ah. stop, the roundabout stop the poppy stop yes. which i love it was such a long time ago but um sue monroe who who did poppy is a, is a good friend and we ended up working together in cbb because she became a presenter you see she was poppy the cat yes for many years and um she became a presenter one of the very first presenters on cbb's Oh, yes, 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 I remember now, yes. Um, I, I think the one that sticks in my mind the most, I mean, you did more of the outdoor ones than the indoor ones, I seem to remember. I, I don't know if I'm, uh, if I'm yeah, misremembering. Yeah, I, I only did a few, really, 13, I think. Oh, maybe. okay. But, but they were repeated a lot, you know, it's like, um, show me, show me, we've made hundreds of episodes of that, and that is... But that's shown every day at different. Well, they're resting it at the minute. They go through periods of resting programs, otherwise it drives parents yes. up the wall. But um, earworms galore. Mm. But um, with um, play days, yeah, they they did seem to be a few more repeats. And of course, they they were in a little bit of hiatus when just before the Teletubbies came out because I think they knew that they were finishing and uh, yet still having to make programs, which must be awful, awful experience. 
I think the one that sticks in my memory the most is the roundabout stop, only because of that song, Roll Up and Ride on Rosie, that one. You know, the one with oh, Mr. Jolly. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> with Mr. Jolly. And there yes. were several Mr. Jollies, so mm. everyone had a favourite Mr. Jolly. Yes, indeed. Uh, another legendary show that you appeared on, and and you know what? I actually forgot until somebody pointed it out to me last night. I was mentioned that I was speaking to you. Um, you, you made an appearance on Chucklevision um, at one point and playing a posh footman, um, and they come to hang up a, a tapestry. I seem to remember, and they and they just wreck havoc. That looked like a good laugh. <laughs> oh, they were great. The Chuckle Brothers were brilliant because. They were incredibly successful, not just in terms of what they were doing on children's TV, but um, in the theatres as well. And they've been doing it for a very, very long time. And um, so we all looked up to them. They were like the senior present, well, performers on on children's TV. And when we did the big bash pantos, because we did four um, pantos in the NEC. Do you remember those where we took over a massive hall? So one whole hall was used for exhibitions and children's TV programs, but then we took over another hall at the uh, NEC, which they turned into a massive theatre. It was a 3,000 seater theatre. Um, huge. I mean, um, unbelievable with kudos sets and we put on pantos every year we did five performances a day. Oh, it nearly finished some people off, but the Chucks turned up in their Winnebago <laughs> and parked it inside the hall just behind the uh, the stage. So, you know, we were very lucky because they used to invite us in for a cup of tea or whatever into their Winnebago. Oh, they, they were really nice guys. And of course, you learn your craft from people like that. When you share a stage with somebody like Paul or Barry Chuckle and you watch them in action every every day six or seven times in a row you know with all the rehearsals and everything um you, you learn so much you know not not just how to do it but you know the the ethos everything you know they they were they were great and it was great to go on their program uh, I haven't forgotten some of the tips and advice they gave me actually Yes, and you played the role very well, getting quite annoyed oh, with them over the course of the episode. <laughs> it's very hard when they're trying to make you laugh all the time. Yes. <laughs> I think what's great uh, is that I've never heard or read a bad word about them. And um, I went to see their show in 2014. A friend of mine had bought me tickets as a surprise, despite the fact that we were both far too old <laughs> by this point. I think I was about 20, yeah. Um, and we loved it. Uh, and... We um, we went and and had photos with them after, and they and they waited for everybody who was you know had a photo and signed everything. I think my friend bought about five or six key rings and asked for every single one to be signed. I had my program signed, and then we waited. <laughs> my friend um, uh, said, "Let's wait outside and see if you know see if we catch them again." And and we did, and uh, we waved to them, and uh, and then their their other brothers who played you know the other characters, the no slacking one, and. And get out of it. They come out, and we had photos with them, and it, and it was great. I remember I was smiling ear to ear, and it turned out sadly to be their last tour. Um, in the end, after that, they they kind of stopped um, doing the, doing the tours because I think by that point, Chucklevision had been off for a few years, so I guess the audiences were starting to dwindle down, and then they just stuck to Panto. And then unfortunately, we we lost Barry, you know, a few years ago, which was just uh, terrible. But yeah, um, what a great legacy, and that program was just fantastic and, and how many episodes they did oh my god 20 odd years yeah yeah but um there's a new double act on cbbc danny and mick and danny adams uh and mick they're actually real real life brothers but i think step brothers but um they've been in the pantos in newcastle for years i think 40 i think this must be the 14th or 15th year of them in this panto and they they are the stars of it and um it's really interesting because they've 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 sort of done what the chucks did in in reverse although the chucks were successful in theater before they went on television but um They've been touring a show, a circus of humour or something, for a long time, as well as these pantos. And they now have this programme. And it's very reminiscent of the Chuckle Brothers because there's a lot of slosh and there's a lot of slapstick comedy. And they're, they're brilliant. They're dynamite. 
great. I have I have heard of them. Um, yeah, it's nice. It, I guess it's like passing the the baton on, really. You know. Um, yeah, and I and I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years' time they'll be touring in the same way that the Chucks always toured. Um, you know, a, a version of their um, TV program or parodying. A, you know, they did um, Chuckle Potter, didn't they? <laughs> Which we didn't get to see that. And um, they normally pirates of the Chuckle Vision or something, but. Um, no, Danny and uh, Mick are, are really carrying that that on, which is good. Absolutely. Um, so moving on from the CBBC days, there, there was like a middle period between that and CBBS where you did some stuff for um, CITV and, and Channel 4. Um, one of the shows I really want to talk about is Jungle Run. Um, you were the host, you were the second person to host it for two series. Um, how did you land that job and, and what was your experience of it? Um, I auditioned. I auditioned to be the host and they auditioned about eight people, eight different presenters with children and they let the children decide. So I was very fortunate um, to have been picked because and I felt and I actually felt that that one, that show and that audition process was probably the most credible of all of them because before it was people deciding for the children whereas this one was the children making up their own mind so i was enormously flattered um unfortunately the children that were there at that audition later went on to one of the episodes and they won but something went wrong with the timer or something and it's been a real it's, it left a really bad taste in my mouth actually because um, I don't know what happened. There was some sort of confusion, but um, I believe they did win or there was some discrepancy and, there, and I was powerless to do anything about it. It was actually quite awful, but I couldn't, couldn't get involved because, you know, I didn't know. I was presenting it. I was in the game. I didn't have the stopwatch in front of me. There was nothing I could do, but um, it was all very odd and I'm not quite sure what the... Um, what, how it was resolved and what happened. But, um, but apart from that incident, um, you know, it was the most incredible show to be, to be on. I mean, the, the set was incredible. It was a, um, we filmed it in a, a disused RAF hangar, massive hangar, absolutely huge near Nottingham. And um, the set was possibly more impressive in real life than it looks on telly because i think it's almost impossible to to capture even on very wide angle lenses the enormity and the spectacle of that set it cost millions to to make absolute millions it really was phenomenal and it was at a point as you say just at the turn of the millennium when ITV had a lot of money for children's programs and they did it incredibly well. Um, it was every bit as good as the BBC at that point and um, the investment was every every bit as good as, as the BBC and in many ways, every bit as good as a movie because that's what it felt like. It felt like being in a movie or certainly on a movie set. Um, there's some incredible games. Even I couldn't work out how they were working. <laughs> I mean, just just brilliant. And the people were so talented. The producers, the directors, the the researchers who found these amazing kids to go on there because they were they really did their research well. And it wasn't just what you saw; it was everything that went on before. And then, of course, the music and the edit and everything. So yeah, it was it was a great privilege to be on, and very hard to say goodbye to. But um, I had to leave because that's when CB started so i left it to go off and film shows for in fact as soon as it finished as soon as i finished the second series i went to wales to film step inside which was a storytelling program which was one of the first programs on cbb so as well as presenting cbb's i was on programs on it um so yeah it's yeah that's how that worked out Great. Yeah, I love that show so much. Um, and I, I recently interviewed Michael Underwood, who took over from yourself on the show, and he said that, you know, the same thing, the set was just something else. And what you saw on telly was was pretty much how it was laid out on the map. Everything was actually where it was. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was actually there. Like, my favourite game was the pyramid, where you went in yeah. the hole at the top yeah. and you had that maze underground. That looked fantastic, that did, on, on screen. It was absolutely 
incredible. And, and I agree with you. That was my favorite game as well, because I think it's the game that most children at home would have thought, wow. And it just played on everything that kids love, secret tunnels, solving problems. And of course, those children had to really work hard together because they were using walkie talkies. You had one child going through secret tunnels in a pyramid while the children up I think I've got this right from memory while the other two were upstairs trying to solve a puzzle and communicating with uh, the child in the tunnel um, via walkie-talkies making doors open secret doors open so you had a whole team of people inside the set inside the pyramid making those trap doors open so that the child inside could wriggle through it really was quite incredible and very impressive to watch Indeed, as well as the, 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 the temple bit at the end, that was just so exciting. And you know what? Even to this day, watching some of them back, it's like it's, it's now biting stuff. You are really rooting. And when, there's, when there was that gong that said you've got 20 seconds to get out yeah. and you've got to yeah. leg it from the, you know, the end room, you know, some of it was pretty close to the knuckle. <laughs> I could just I remember. I didn't appreciate Yeah, you're right. You're right. The drama and the, the skill. Well, the skill that went into coming up with the, all the games in the first instance, but then the skills and the talent that was there making it all happen, I didn't really appreciate at the time because only since then have I been more involved in behind the scenes stuff. So I write programs now and I've toured a show and, you know, I've had to come up with stuff. And um, when you actually start doing all the logistical, um, so, I mean, I've, I've always directed pantomimes, but, you know, television is, is something else. And the, the, enormity of, of of the task of making all that happen it's just um just mind-boggling really and they did it and there were some very clever people there were some really good people working on it when i did it but then the following year which michael did they brought in another uh, director martin day who's a, a good friend of mine um who brought even more to the program including live animals so you'll notice there are real snakes wriggling around which i don't think were in any of the ones that i did or dom did Yes, I remember. Yeah, they did. They did put animals in. Which I thought it was a really good touch. Made made it yeah. feel even more real. And uh, yeah, yeah, very clever. What I find funny as well, watching it back, is um, how frustrated you got with some of the contestants. Like you, you do get quite wound up at times. I don't know if that was part of the act or because um, you oh, have yeah. to kind of play like a stern character. I thought it was funny. Well, there were three kids. I remember them. I can still see them in my mind who were hopeless. <laughs> And to be fair, and they had such a good sense of you. They knew they were hopeless. And um, and we just got on really well. And we were laughing all the time. It's it's a shame because the program is only, what, 20 minutes long. And, and really, they have to cut out so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes and, you know, in between the games. And um, But they were hysterical. They came up with some real gold. Really, really funny. And... Um, yeah, but you know that would have been me. I'd have been one of those. I would have been hopeless at it. But it was it was interesting because um, we had children on the program who were ten, and we sometimes had children on the on the program who were about twelve. And what was really interesting, Jack, is you know some of the games you'd say, right, okay, what you're gonna do, you're gonna climb up onto that rope and you've got to shin across that rock and then jump up onto that ledge and then and then swing across the water. All right, and and then now a ten year old would go yeah okay and then they go and do it they try and do it whereas a 12 year old goes, i'm not doing that <laughs> no honestly you can do it. no i'm not I'm, there's no way i'm gonna i might fall off and it's really the int the difference between a 10 year old and a 12 year old hadn't really occurred to me before no very true very true but um looking back now as an adult i'm very jealous of anybody who went on it and i'm sure a lot of people are too um it's because until because they still show it well maybe they don't anymore but they were until quite recently and um i've had kids come up to me and say oh how do i get on mm. and i find that very interesting that they still think that it's happening and yes. it was 20 years ago but um i guess it's not until you get to the prize here you go you've won a cd player and we hold hold over something that looks like it could have been you know in in the tardis in the 60s but um no it 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 sort of still works actually as a program. I think it's a shame yeah. they don't show it because um, it has stopped. But um, yeah, when you've spent that much money on the set, you kind of want to get your money's back, surely. 
Yes, I've I've seen many comments down the years and memes about the prizes, and um, it, it to be fun. It's funny actually. Just before I, I travelled up here to do this interview, somebody's actually done a video compiling some of your um, comments <laughs> on the show. You know, some of the times when you get a little bit wound up with people. I don't know who spends time making these things, but I think one of the comments that made me laugh was um, somebody was climbing along one of the ledges on the waterfall, but being very slow, and he said something like, "You." not in a bathroom you're not taking a shower just jump <laughs> which i thought was funny it was do you know it was such fun to do and it was one of those programs which is quite honest really in that um what you see is what happened and you know there's there's no way around it whereas a lot of tv that i've been involved in you know you we stop and start and we spend a lot of time getting everything absolutely right but um it was enormous fun being part of a program which was so you know in your face and um had real tension it had real drama to it and um i hope they make more things like that i think they haven't they made something similar recently on itv i've got a feeling yes. somebody's um it's called don't unleash the beast or something like that it does look very right. jungle unlike right. right yeah I mean, it's a gift of a format, and we're, we're a little bit sick of panel shows and <laughs> a bit bored of them now. Yes. Yeah, and the Crystal Maze has come back, which is great. Which I'm, I'm guess, I'm guessing gave a little bit of inspiration to Jungle Run. It did, it did. Um, I, I'm a big fan of both, and uh, yeah, there is definitely some inspiration there. One, one question I do have that's just been that's been stuck in my mind because I mentioned that you played like quite a quite a stern character, you know, very serious. One of the things I've noticed, and I've just always been curious to whether it was real or not is you had a snake tattoo on your arm <laughs> was that just, oh, was that fake really. or was it real <laughs> it was did i really i don't remember that yes i noticed it watching it back once i'm like oh my god he's got a snake tattoo on his inner arm <laughs> but i'm guessing it was part of the costume yeah yeah it was jeepers i don't remember that. that's really worrying that i can't remember <laughs> Oh, I just thought I'd ask. Um, another CITV show you did, and I forgot, again, forgot until recently, um, the Fantastic Dream Street, but that was a voice role, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. So that was great fun to be uh, part of because it was it was done with so much heart, you know, a bit like um, Jungle Run. The people behind the scenes, a guy called Nigel Stone and, and his team, and there was a director, I can't remember his name, but he worked on big, big movies, and it was all shot at Pinewood. And... Um, the heart that went into it, it's a shame it, because I think they brought it back again recently. They've remastered it and put it out. But um, it deserved to do so much better than it did because of the work that they put in. And um, it was beautifully shot, really clever. And Russ Abbott did the narration and I thought did a really good job of it because he's quite a warm comic, you know, and um, obviously being a father as well and he's, he's probably a grandfather now but you know he just had the right struck the right tone indeed yes and it, it was a great show um i remember watching it i'm actually looking at a model of hot rodney right now oh, <laughs> he's, okay. in, he's sat on top of a speaker hot rodney who was great fun to do because he was a bully and he wasn't very nice but i made him very silly um i used a lot of um it was like a cross between bruce forsyth and a great comic called ken campbell um who i really adored i thought he's very very funny so he and um it was a, it was a, a really good sort of reference really for making him silly rather than evil yeah there was a good show and, and and yeah i do think they did kind of revive it some years later um yeah i do think i did i, did, I think they did that yeah um another voice role as well but this was on ITV rather than CITV and I'm a big fan of game shows as well um you did the the, the voiceover on catchphrase for a bit and you'd, you'd often do quite humorous remarks about Nick Weir at the start of every show did you have a good camaraderie with him yeah those were all scripted so I can't claim any credit for that at all <laughs> and I have to say hats off to him for um you know sort of green lighting it and uh wanting that to happen but i guess um yeah i i don't remember too much about it, it was such a long time ago but somebody said oh they they'd heard me um on challenge tv so um i guess they're showing them all again 
But yeah. um, no, he he's a really he now runs cruise lines. He does all the entertainment. I I can't remember the the name of the cruise line, but if you find Nick Weir on Twitter, you can see all the incredible shows he puts on, and. Um, I mean, they're absolutely jaw-droppingly incredible, these shows, using the latest technology. Obviously, they've got a lot of money on these huge cruise liners. But, um, no, that's what he's up to now. Great. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. And, um, in fact, I'm sure I've seen him on a programme in the last two or three years where it was like looking back at game shows because, obviously... He had that moment where he broke his leg on one of his first shows, but he still carried on and did the series. Yeah. A bit like um, Matthew Kelly did on Game for a Laugh a few years before. But, yeah, I think it just adds to the the drama of what's going on, doesn't it, to see um, you know, your, your heroes in a little bit of peril. But, um, yeah, we, life goes on, doesn't it? You know, you, you, just because you've, you've broken your foot or whatever, you've still got to do your job. Indeed, indeed. And um, before we move on to the CBB stuff, there's, there's one show you did for Channel 4 that I remember. And, um, it, and it was um, Maths Mansion, where you played Sad Man and Bad Man. You know, um, this is Bad Maths. <laughs> <laughs> bad Maths. <laughs> it was in the early days of um, Big Brother. And the guy who came up with it, um, two guys, Roland and Chris, ran a company open mind and um chris i think had worked with um, a lot of alternative comedians and had written episodes of the young ones and was really very very funny and had then opened this um educational production house really but by combining comedy and and all the skills that he got from working on all those programs and the young ones with maths and and you know hard hard gcse syllabus or key stage two maths or whatever it was we were doing um shows how much i know about maths um he managed to forge this wonderful program and it was a real gift because i played this sort of was like a, a male version of Anne robinson in weakest link and uh, this really nerdy open university um, character. So these two characters um, who hated each other, um, and it, both of them played by me, um, hosted this show. And it turned out right at the end that they were actually father and son. Oh, I didn't <laughs> which know was that. Really yeah, really weird. <laughs> really weird. And, um, but that was great fun to do because we were in a house... Um, on the Thames, it's called Doily Cart House. That's where it was filmed. This really decrepit mansion that's only used for filming now. And they created Maths Mansion, this ghostly, rather ghostly mansion where children were trapped and couldn't leave until they connected enough cards, which were um, basically they were given as rewards if they managed to complete their maths. But um, And those kids were great because they were actors um, in the show. They weren't real contestants and um, they had to learn all this, all this, all this uh, stuff. And um, and of course, maths is really hard anyway. Well, I think it is. And uh, when you're in a game show situation, because there was a game show element to it, as well as this sort of big brother element, um, they were really on the spot. It was really hard for I really felt for them because not only did they have to remember their lines, they had to remember the sense of what they were saying. You know, it wasn't just like learning lines. You're having to learn numbers and fractions. And it was really complicated for them. I had it easy. I mean, I may have even had the words in front of me because I was being the question master. But, you know, it it was a real tough call on them and they were brilliant. I, I hope they're all doing well and they've all, some of them, I can't remember their names, but they were, because it was such a long time ago, but um, they were all tremendous to have um, taken that challenge and, and, and risen to it. Indeed, and hats off to them for, I couldn't do that. I'm terrible at maths, so learning lines as well. I had to learn it all again. It was like, oh my God, I thought there's one. The only great thing about being an adult is you don't have to do any more maths. <laughs> I get a job hosting a maths show. But it was just, ah, oh, the comedy made up for it. And I think that it hopefully helped because it's being relicensed. Um, so you teachers can get it. And I, I get a lot of correspondence about the programme. So Channel 4 are selling it to schools. You can buy it as a, as a set. And I've had a lot of calls and emails and tweet messages or whatever from teachers and, and kids who are watching it now and, and saying that it really helps them. And I think, yeah, actually, I mean, it sounds a bit naff who make maths fun, but no, make it fun. Why not? Why not make it fun? You know, why not make it 
entertaining. You're more likely to learn it. There was a, I took, you knew you, you were talking about the golden age of television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Earlier when everyone thinks that they, they had a, a golden age. Well, in many ways, since they cr- created these two channels, it has been a golden age ever since because now things like Dick and Dom, which was the first Saturday morning programme on the new CBBC, that was just for children. You know, before then, um, the Saturday morning programmes had always been trying to entertain adults and students as well. So it, it was great that we had this new um way of doing things everything that you see now on cbbc and cbb's is just for kids there is nothing on there that has adults in mind it might be you know there might be the odd cbb's special christmas show that is made palatable for the grown-ups who watch it with them at christmas time or whatever but really it's all for the children i think that's tremendous and and a real achievement that's happened over the last 20 years since we had those channels but um talking about making learning fun there was a program with jedward who i didn't really warm to initially but they hosted a program i can't remember the name of it on cbbc where they took the each jedward each twin took a team of kids to a place of learning to a museum or something and it would be one jedward and an expert and the expert and jedward character would would try and teach these kids different bits of information well the expert would drone on about whatever it was in this museum meanwhile the jedward person would be silly larking around giving bits of information but you know doing a somersault or cracking a joke at the end of it there was a test to see you know how many questions and how much you know these two teams could remember well nearly everything that these teams were remembering the children remember was was from the jedward's mouth <laughs> not the experts proof again that actually it's the packaging and how you sell it and um television generally doesn't really um excel at informing but what it does do it it creates these sort of um a romantic attachment to things you you can't learn how to play the piano by watching television but by watching somebody play the piano beautifully makes you fall in love with the idea of playing the piano and makes you want to do it and it re- makes you realize that um there's a sense to all the practice that you have to put in and and i think that's what children's television is all about yes i absolutely agree with you there such I, a good program the jedward thing by the way i can't i wish i could remember what it's called but no, you'll find it you just put jedward children's tv it's really funny i wasn't expecting to like i had to watch it for bafta and yeah, i was dreading it and and i was so surprised it was so funny and so brilliantly done and the two of them were really good at it and i know they get a lot of bad press but they were exceptional at presenting for children Great stuff. Well, we move on now um, to CBeebies, which has been going strong since 2002, and you've been a part of it pretty much since day one. Tell us about how you know that all came about and started and, and everything that you've done, really, in, in that time. Well, I mean, I was invited to be one of the hosts. So for the first eight years um, after launching it with Poi, we, we were there doing a sort of a live play school, play days, whatever you want to call it. So we were there between the shows. And in the early days, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of money. There weren't that many programmes in the Arsenal. It wasn't the case that there wasn't much money. There just wasn't enough stuff. So what we were doing live every day was really important because it, it created, you know, a sense of newness and, and, uh, and and you know gave it a sense of of um connection to the children watching you know on a day-to-day basis we did birthdays all sorts of stuff stuff that chimed with whatever was going on in the world at that moment that might be appropriate for little kids after that um we went on to do show me show me so we did eight years of prayers then we went into um show me show me and, and we've been doing that uh, with the last series we did in 2016 um and since then we've been doing stargazing and other shows for and bits and bobs but of course once you make a program like show me show me it's there you know it's um it's uh stargazing doesn't really get repeated that much but show me show me does because the way television is made now really is that we make they tend to make less better so you put more money into the execution of the programs you make it more epic and then you can play it many more times and also and that's because you know we're up against movies and everything else that's, that exists out there that children can access with just one swipe of their finger so yeah but it was it was a huge huge opportunity and and the other thing is when cbb started 
we really didn't know how big it was going to become. We didn't realize the in the, how enormous CBBS would become and how important it would become because before then. Um, children's television for preschoolers was just half an hour on BBC Two at 10 o'clock or whenever it was. And it was part of people's day. CBeebies went, it's not, it's 13 hours a day, but you know, from the moment the children wake up until they go to bed at seven o'clock, CBeebies is there. You know, it was almost like TV crash was invented that didn't exist before. So we became part of people's routine and, um, and like radio, people love CBBS. They might not love BBC One, but they love CBBS. They love the whole idea of it. Um, the other thing we didn't realise at the time, even when it became successful, was that it would stay successful. And 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 now, um, with a whole new generation of people coming, it just seems to get bolder and they're doing Shakespeare ballet concerts the proms there have been three proms the ambition of CBBS just seems to get bolder and bolder and I think um, people appreciate that and going back to what you were saying earlier on having people presenting to children rather than cartoons and making that connection is so important at the heart of everything that we still do absolutely yes and I also think the same for the continuity links it's so much better when it's a person there rather than just a voice and one thing i have noticed is that in those 20 years cbbc has gone through many changes many facelifts whereas cbbs has still stuck to the same yellow logo and those yellow blobs um at the time of when they both launched you had the green blobs on cbbc the yellow ones on cbbs cbbs have stuck to that but uh, cbbc has uh, changed quite a lot which i have noticed Yes, I think that that's another amazing thing about CBeebies. It hasn't changed its identity at all. It's it's still, as you say, exactly the same as it was when it launched in 2002. Whereas CBBC, I guess because it's older children and they they need to match fashions at the time. And they also, the other problem that CBBC have got, they need to stay distinctive um, and and they, they need to have a distinction between CBBC and all the other children's TV channels at any one particular time. So they do need to stay on top of, uh, of what's on trend. But um, so they have a tougher job. CBBC is a much tougher channel to run, I think. Yes. Um, and with Show Me, Show Me, was that... So I know you created that with, with Poya and you've, you've presented it together and, and you've been friends for many years, which is fantastic. Um, was, was Show Me, Show Me created as kind of a follow-on of those shows like uh, Play School and Play Days? Yes, um, kind of. Yes. I mean, we we um, we did. We, we there was nothing on at the time for that particular. Well, there was, but, you know, not not targeting that particular age group, um, the younger end of the audience in terms of live action. So, yes, um, the idea was to create the great grandson of play school that worked a little bit like Tickabilla and um, uh, Play Days. Um, yeah, it was that same sort of uh, idea. But we wanted to add more character, a bit more, not necessarily comedy, but that sort of sitcom conversation. So as well as of us talking to the children, we talked to each other, you know, and we would play. And the idea was for children to play along at home and we always say at the beginning of it, we have our toys. So we we have five toys, a bit like with play school, Big Ted, Jemima and everything. And the the intention that remains to this day is that we don't ever sell those toys. You will never, ever be able to buy them. You can buy bootleg versions of Stuffy and Miss Mouse on eBay that people have made. And that's great because they're all homemade and they're all different and they'll never be as the same as the ones on the telly but the idea is find your own so you you get your own character toy or teddy bear or whatever it might be or doll and join in with the show but so there was the idea of playing along and also watching humans interact on screen and playing and, and so that you're encouraging people to to join in with that imaginative play that has always been a tradition of bbc and british um preschool tv Good stuff. Uh, and long may it continue. Also, you and Poya were also responsible for um, Old Jack's Boat, weren't you, with Bernard Cribbins? Yeah, my dad wrote a song called Old Tom's Boat because um, I'm involved with a, a lot of music. Uh, and um, 
yeah so i put music to those words and we we came up with a song called old tom's boat which was on cbb's a long long time ago that i performed with a, a, a small animation and um poi kept saying oh that song bruno her little boy loves it and keeps singing it and there's a program there and and we started talking and when we were on the road because we used to travel all the time for hours and hours you know getting to different theaters and uh, we came up with the idea of this old fisherman i'd worked with bernard cribbins in panto and we were friends and i said we should come up with something for bernard this old fisherman character and you know it, it evolved there was a, already a program with tom tifu tom was on and so we we changed the name to jack and also um bernard cribbins was in carry on jack and uh, which one, one of his favorite carry-ons so um we went with jack <laughs> it seemed like a good name and um yeah, and now there have been several histories, quite a few, um, been a, a lot of episodes of, of Old Jack's Boat and Rockpool Tales, which was a, um, a follow on. And um, yeah, it's, it's done really, really well. And it's won a lot of awards too. Great. And uh, I have to say, um, I might be biased, but changing the name to Jack, stroke a genius. <laughs> I think what I like about, about yourself is that a, a lot of people um, go into kids' TV as like a gateway into going into more grown up roles like it's just a year or two just just you know just you know just to get through it but with yourself you just want to stay in children's television you've got such a passion for it as well and i think that's really uh, really fantastic yeah my my passion really is for family entertainment and and you get that in the theater with a good pantomime a terrible pantomime is horrendous and it puts people off ever going again and quite often when you meet someone who says, oh, I can't stand pantomime, it's because they've seen a bad one. They've seen the vicar make a fool of himself or, you know, they've just been to a bad panto. And do you know what? Some of the ones I've been have been terrible. And I hold my hand up. You know, it's you know, it's going to happen. Um, I've been in a few really very, very good ones. Um, I was in. Uh, one at, in Richmond, Cinderella with Hayley Mills and, and Matthew Kelly and his son and an incredible cast where everything came together. It was a million dollars and it had a huge budget and a great spectacle. And I challenge anyone who, who went to see that show not to have loved it and to, to have always wanted to go to a, a panto ever since. And I think good children's television does the same you know it entertains in a way that means that you can't help yourself but laugh or enjoy it and and, and want it to always you know take, take rent a ghost which i mentioned earlier on as being one of my favorite programs it was just so funny and joyful and even when it wasn't funny it made you happy and and i think that that's what um i love about the entertainment that i'm involved with and the people that i work with they're all working together to make happy feel good entertainment and that's all i've ever wanted to do i despair a little bit about some of the entertainment on adult television on grown-up television because i think it has forgotten to be warm and friendly and family orientated it's not all of it but there's so much not aggression but worthiness and you know just oh just relax and when when the lockdown happened, where were the sitcoms? They could have just run a load of old sitcoms and made everybody happy. Why give us you know boring stuff and and tragedy and and um, there's enough of it going on in real life. We need to have and but in children's television it is a it is a bit like the Truman Show. <laughs> everything everything is lovely and the flowers never die. Yes, absolutely. I think that's why so many of us look back on it so much, especially when we're having a bad day. Sometimes it's nice to just look back on something and, uh, you know, remind yourself of, of more better times. And I agree. Yeah, they should have shown uh, more of the, the old classics during that time. So, yeah, so, so to kind of wrap things up, what are you up to these days? Well, I'm, um, I've, as I said, the... Um... TV business is, is not in a great state because of COVID, but I have managed to film a few things. We did a series of um, stargazing um, at the end of last year, and we've just finished, uh, well, it was a while ago now, it's a few weeks ago, uh, feels like yesterday, we filmed Romeo and Juliet for CBeebies, which was amazing, but it's just not easy to film at the moment with the, all the social distancing, and um, it, it's just a, a lot 
costs a lot more money which is is then you know, it's not wasted obviously because you're keeping people safe but it's a necessary thing and it takes a lot of money out of the budget so um while that's going on i've been making a lot of radio i've, I've made a series called the magic den which is in the second series for um bbc sounds and cbb's radio uh with stuffy from show me show me and some amazing celebrity guests including Derek griffiths who was a superstar of of my childhood and sue pollard michael rosen and um I'd love you to listen. Please tell all your listeners to listen uh, to The Magic Den because um, it took a lot of time uh, to make. Um, that's what I did during lockdown. And um, right now I'm writing a panto for Pool in Dorset. And um, I'm going to be Dame for the first time on a stage um, in a theatre show. I have done it in on television, but never done it before in a professional long-running pantomime in a theatre um so that's exciting <laughs> great stuff it's it's nice that you keep him busy and also um correct me if i'm wrong but you run a, a children's radio station as well called little radio yes so um yeah with some friends and colleagues from my lbc days we've started a children's radio station called little radio that's running 24 7 it's um it uses a lot of, I mean, thanks to all my friends on the BBC, Andy Day, Kat Sandian, uh, Poi Fan Lee, Naomi Wilkinson, all these, and, and uh, Dave Benson Phillips have all been incredibly generous with their time because it really is, it's, there's no funding. It's just a filtered music station with a lot of familiar voices on it, bedtime stories. But during the day, it's back-to-back children's songs, nursery rhymes. Well, Chris, it's been a delight chatting with you today. Uh, thank you for for uh, taking so much time out to speak to me uh, and reminiscing. It's been great fun. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for, um, you know, keeping the the candle burning, you know, for children's TV, because, you know, things do move on and there's a sense of uh, it being a little bit like wallpaper, you know, that uh, you, you produce all this stuff and then it's forgotten and um, people forget it's there. But, um, you know, a lot of it is still in existence on on YouTube, a lot of old programs, and um, it just adds to the choice, isn't it? And um, they were happy days to be involved with. And um, I'm, I'm glad you've got happy memories, too, of watching them. Um, I certainly have of all the programs that I used to watch. And every now and again, you know, if you're feeling a bit lonely or low, um, it's worth putting one on. I've, I've quite often watched an old Rent-A-Ghost or Chigley cheer myself up yes i do the same with shows from my era all the time yes and sometimes <laughs> even jungle or maybe play days um, well chris it's been lovely chatting to you thank you a massive thank you to chris for sharing his memories and if you want to find out more about what he's up to follow him on twitter at real chris jarvis that's it from me for now but i will be back with one final episode for this series in the next few weeks until then i'll see you soon